Hello and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard, and with me today is Ben Seeger-Scott, Head of Multi-Asset Funds. We're going to be discussing the recent direction of the technology sector and implications of the growth in artificial intelligence. We're recording this on Tuesday the 4th of June 2023. And before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. OK, welcome, Ben. Um, now, there were quite a few people writing off the technology sector last year, saying that high interest rates had effectively um, stymied the chunky returns investors have grown used to over the last few years. Um, but actually, it's been doing quite well this year. Um, I wonder if you can explain that. Sure. Yeah, there's well, I think there's been a, a couple of factors for, for technology this year. One exciting one and a bit more of a boring technical one. Uh, the excitement, of course, there's lots of enthusiasm uh, around artificial intelligence. That's boosted the perceived fortunes of quite a lot of the tech names. Now, that's been helped by news stories, all of these these bits over uh, over social media. And that's the exciting one, a renewed buzz o- o- on the tech sector. Um, it's also probably partly to do with interest rates. It's very boring for, for technology. Um, but if you look back to last year tech really suffered when interest rates were rising quite sharply. And that's because a lot of tech stocks are rather sensitive to interest rates. They're what we call long duration assets. What it means, a lot of hopes and expectations around their earnings are further out in the future. Earnings in the future compared to today, there's a bit of an opportunity cost, and that's tied to interest rates, which meant as interest rates rose, that opportunity cost became greater. That hit them last year. And what we've had this year is central banks starting to signal an end to that hiking cycle. So that sense of of a pause and potentially cuts in the future, that's helped anything that's been interest rate sensitive. So everything that got hit last year has had a bit of a rally. That's the the technical reason, and that's coincided with this AI enthusiasm. Okay, and uh, let's talk about that artificial intelligence enthusiasm in a bit more detail. I mean, why has it caused such excitement and also I mean are there any risks people do keep talking about this sort of we've got two years to save the world and that kind of thing I mean does any of that worry you well I mean there's certainly a lot of buzz around it as with all of these technologies they've been swirling around in in the background and every so often there's this catalyst that that propels them into the limelight Uh, and the reason for the current round of exuberance I think it's OpenAI's chat GPT that everyone or most people sort of know and love. That's really just a tool that makes it easier to access um, some of these AIs. The latest technology, it's all about LLMs, which are large language models. Actually, it's less about the the technology of AI. It's more how you train them and and the data sets you use to do it. Um, So, you know, the the, the data sets behind these things are absolutely huge. Uh, I think think ChatGPT at the moment is is on a sort of 3.5, version 3.5, and that was trained on something like hundreds of billions of words. 
the next iteration um, version for all, all very hush hush with the expectation that's probably going to be trained on, on sort of trillions of words. So it's it's, the, it's those data sets and the power crunching them that, that that's really got uh, that, that really drives these technologies. Um, and I think because it's a new technology, like most technology, the reason people are excited, it has the, the capacity to significantly increase productivity and productivity drives growth, it drives development, it drives earnings growth. And that's where the buzz is. And particularly now we've had you know, robotics and automation, particularly in more manual jobs. This has the, the potential um, to significantly increase productivity in some of the more labor intensive service areas. So that's why everyone's excited, this, this potential sort of step change in, in productivity. Um, but of course, it does come with risks. Putting aside the sort of sci-fi risk of the AI turning on its crater and destroying us all, um, I think from an investment perspective, the key risks we're looking at are around the disruption that it will cause. Again, it happens with all technologies. You lose some jobs, um, but they, they likely create jobs that we simply can't really envisage now. But that's disruption of the change from one to the other, assuming it happens, that does create a lot of a lot of disruptive risk. But just as many jobs could potentially be taken over by, by these AI functions, there will likely be new jobs. The ones at the moment, the still in the very early stages, you know, if, I think if you if you were on a, a job hunting site and looked for a prompt engineer, historically, what on earth is that? But now prompt engineers trying to tailor the questions you ask AI to get the best use out of them, uh, that it, it's growing in, in, in popularity. So there will be that switch, but it will create disruption. There is also, of course, the risk of disappointment that this technology um, and all of the potentials that people hope for simply doesn't come to pass, and it's yet another failed technology, and we've had examples of, of those in the past. So I think there's plenty of reason to be excited. It's the productivity gains that, that it could deliver, um, but the risk is there's disruption, and again, it may not, it may simply not come to pass. Okay, interesting. And the the, the broader technology market does seem to take up an awful lot of airtime. I mean, is there a reason why it matters for markets in particular? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think because technology drives longer term growth. Technology is, is is one of those concepts that starts off as a sort of distinct entity but then it just permeates into into everything else. And you know, no one thinks anymore, oh, you use a computer, you're a technology company. It then goes into every other sector and drives the, the, the growth and, uh, and evolution in, in that sector. And that's why I think it's so important to watch where it goes. I think if you look at some, some of the, the recent technologies that, that have become embedded, um, if you consider Amazon driven by technology, actually most of its money is, is driven off web services, but if you think of, of Amazon in terms of, uh, of delivering stuff to your doorstep, that's really a consumer goods business. Netflix is an entertainment business. Technology comes in and it permeates through through all sorts of different industries and sectors. And that's ultimately what will probably be true of AI. It's starting off as a tool in the technology sector, but it could be, be deployed to, to um, sort of deliver in, in lots of other sectors. And I think, you know, it... It's, of course, hard to know what the future will actually look like. But I think when it comes to technology, there's a famous saying, but it's worth remembering, and this we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate the effect in the long run. So there's lots of hype at the moment. It could dissipate. 
but through time we'll see it percolate through and that's what's really important to keep an eye on it. And from an investment point of view, what tends to be the best way to access these trends? Is it is it to be sort of minutely focused on, you know, the next hot area of technology or are there other routes to, to making money from technology? Well, I, th- I, th- I think there's several routes. It's always very difficult to pick out, A, in the moment, which companies will benefit, but also not get sucked up I- I into the hype. And at the moment, maybe there's... there's a, a bit of an excess of enthusiasm. So I'd sort of be a little bit wary diving in too quickly. But in terms of some of the longer term mega trends and themes and and mega trends is something we've we've written about um, before in some of our articles. But I think if you're looking at technology, there's sort of two angles. One is, of course, the the technology companies in the short term. We talked before, it could benefit industries very broadly. But if you are interested in technology, obviously investing in, in tech firms will help a lot and particularly with AI one of the challenges is it's, it's very expensive um, to develop these it requires vast resources it's very hard for small companies or startups to properly exploit that to really drive this growth and make it useful really there is a, a, a bit of a competitive advantage that existing large technologies have so be careful always of valuation but as this tool develops that could be one area to access it but the other one is the, the sort of longer term, the, the, the picks and shovels argument, rather than buying, investing and trying to capture that technology in and of itself, try and invest in the tools that are used to, that are used to support it. So that's technology, hardware, semiconductors, and the physical um, supplies that are needed. Those will, will often be in demand. So that's a different way to play it, all within that, that quite narrow area of technology. Okay, great. Um, right, let's let's turn our attention to um, kind of markets over this month. Um, there seems to be some resolution for, to the debt ceiling, and that's that's come as a bit of a relief to markets. I mean, did Biden have to make any major concessions to get that across the line? Uh, not not significantly. I think there's obviously been a, a lot of a, a attention on the debt ceiling, and, and we've talked about it um, previously. This comes along every few years. The expectation is is it will resolve itself because the catastrophe, if it doesn't, doesn't really bear thinking about. In this case, there wasn't any huge concession, but what they've chosen to do, it has been good for bipartisan support and agreement, trying to move away from, from uh, that, that polarising politics to, to getting things done and coalescing around, around the centre ground. But actually what they've done before when they, they kick this can even further down the road, what they've quite cleverly done this time, they've just sort of suspended or or shifted the debt ceiling out to 2025. That lets them get through the next election cycle. It doesn't get them in hot water for the presidential elections next year. And just by kicking it slightly further down the road, there hasn't been huge concessions really on either side. There is uh, effectively non-defence spending has got to be flat through through next year, but that hasn't been a huge compromise. Um, So so really, it's it's just been a, a muddle through. Um, and that's really helped get it over the line without any significant percolations through markets. Okay, and how's it? Um, how has the whole kind of saga played out in equity and fixed income markets? Well, it, it, it's always hard to isolate one particular fact. You know, as we've been talking about this in the background, as we just said, there's been AI, there's been inflation, there's been there's been interest rates. Um, but as we sort of look through, markets have essentially taken it in their stride. When the, the news story first broke, and there was no sign of agreement. There was a little bit of a, of a risk-off sentiment. But as it sort of got closer, 
um, that th- there really hasn't been too much to worry about. There is some consideration. What one of the technical factors now they've had this agreement, the government is going to have to raise quite a lot of money through issuing uh, debt that could cause a little bit of activity in the markets. But I think you know we, we never really got close enough to to the crunch point. Historically, we've seen government shutdowns, and that's when people really start to get worried. But because a deal was done, I mean, it's only a few days, right? In terms of the news cycle, that's pretty tight. But in terms of markets, everyone's prepared. They had their, they had their backup plans. It was largely taken in its stride. The one aspect that I think has had a bit of a lasting impact is that Fitch, so a credit rating agency that says the credit worthiness of different governments, the US, of course, has the highest rating, AAA, that sort of gold-plated uh, rating. Fitch has put it on a negative watch, which I think is more of a, a sort of shot across the bow. Um, and even post this resolution, they haven't with, withdrawn that negative watch. And I think that's just a reminder, if your job as a credit rating agency is to say, do I think this entity, this company, institution, government will pay back its debts? I think it's just a reminder, look, if every two or three years you decide... Am I or aren't I going to pay that debt? You know, that's that's not um, coherent with the, the AAA rating. So I think that's just a little bit of a warning from the credit rating, rating agencies um, to, for, for the US government to mind its behaviour. But yeah. that's probably the only um, impact of note that I think has, has come this time around. OK, right. Interesting. Um uh, one story that sort of flew under the radar a bit was Saudi Arabia announcing plans to cut oil production. Um, is there any worry that that could push up inflation? I, I know the, the oil price has been coming down, but um. I, I, I think what it's what it more reflects there is is sometimes a view. I think when oil prices are moving around, and sometimes you get presidents talking to um, oil ministers, that somehow you can negotiate with them to, to achieve a cut or an increase. And when it happens, everyone's like, "Oh, that's uh, that, that's great for, for politics." But the reality is most of, of OPEC, which is the, the, the consortium, uh, the cartel actually, that controls a lot of oil production, therefore the price, they try and, and manage oil in around about 80 to 120 range, broaden that out, maybe 70 to 130. Because if you're an oil exporting nation, obviously you want oil prices to be high to get your revenues in. Um, but if the oil price is too high, that's a break on the global economy. We've all seen very high oil prices tends to can tip economies over into recession. So they always try to measure, uh, manage it in a range that's low enough to keep the, the wheels turning, um, but high enough that you can generate some, some pretty good profit, which is why when the oil price is very high, it's actually quite easy to ask them, would you mind pumping a bit more? You can by all means say, oh, it's a political victory, but they know it's in their interest to, to not let it get exceptionally high. But now, after the very high prices we saw last year, um, the oil price is actually quite low. It's hovering, last I saw Brent was hovering around the 70s sort of mark. And that's at the low end. So I think no matter how much you ask them, you know, don't, don't, don't mess around with this. It is in their interest at, at that level to scale back some of the oil production. Saudi Arabia is the marginal producer. They have enough capacity, they can manage some of the politics within OPEC. So it's not a huge surprise. Um, but what I would say in terms of medium-term inflation, the oil price is currently at the low end of that range. At the moment, if, uh, the impact of oil is actually disinflationary because now we're going through the, the one-year window. This time last year, you know, the summer of 2022, 
that's when oil was all sort of above $100 a barrel. So now it's in the 70 or 80 mark. It's actually disinflationary. So I don't think it's too concerning at the moment. Um, and I think you'll see if, if the oil price remains low, there'll be continued pressure to, to, to tighten to, to tighten those, those elements. The other aspect that provides a bit of a floor as well, you'll recall uh, governments have strategic oil reserves. Um, and last year when the price was very high, the US deployed some of that. That helps just bring it down a little bit. But they need to restock that. So when you have low oil prices as well, a lot of governments will be buying oil to restock. And that provides a little bit of a floor as well. So I don't think it will necessarily lead to a meaningful inflation increase. What I think it's doing is trying to uh, help the, the oil exporting nations manage that price broadly in a sort of 80 to 120 kind of range. Okay, great. Um, and finally, no podcast would be complete without a look at US interest rates. So, you know, what, it, what are the signals you're seeing there? Uh, interest rates are the gift that keeps on giving. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, we were, you know, one more maybe then done. I think we have talked about sometimes you have this disconnect between what central banks are saying and what the markets are saying. That closed sort of over the summer. Markets capitulated and said, you know, maybe it is higher for longer. Then we had that banking turmoil and all these expectations dropped. And what we've seen recently is actually US interest rate expectations have shifted higher again. Last month, it looked like that was it. US particular, in, in particular had done with the hikes. And actually, markets were pricing in cuts maybe by the end of the year. As we stand today, you know, we're recording what, on the 6th of June. We have the next Fed meeting next week. There is a chance they'll hike. Current probability implies a sort of one in four chance, so quite unlikely. But given that was virtually zero a month or so ago, the expectation now is they don't do it next week. They are quite likely-ish to do it uh, um, in July. When I looked earlier, the implied probability was about 50. It was 50.1%, so so quite uh, evenly cut. But that's a, a, long, a long way from where we were recently, which is that's it. So the expectation is maybe they'll do another hike. But importantly, markets don't anticipate any cuts through the rest of this year. That's obviously what we've been talking about for a long time. We think the rates will remain higher than higher for longer, certainly longer than the market anticipates. And now the market is, is coming in, into line with that. That reflects the idea that some elements of inflation are quite sticky. You can't argue, as we said, about the energy prices, um, being the driver, a lot of it is some of the stickier elements, particularly around housing costs, household goods, some elements of food as well that have delayed impact. So there's a risk that inflation can it will continue to fall almost certainly just because of base effects. But maybe uh, we need to keep an eye on, on, on how much that decelerates and if it plateaus and gets a little sticky. Um, and that's what I think what, what's encouraged the Fed to maybe just keep talking maybe a little bit more and maybe at that, at that level for, for slightly slightly longer. So that's a negative in terms of a little bit more and, and more restrictive. But I think it's also a positive now that the market is in line with, with the central bank. So now those expectations have been more accurately aligned. Longer term inflation expectations are nice and firmly anchored. So it's not a hugely worrying sign, but it does imply maybe this this Goldilocks idea that it's going to be easy, a bit of a hike, inflation drops, we smooth we smooth the ride. Maybe that was too optimistic. So there could be a few bumps ahead. So careful management of your investments is essential. Okay, great. Thanks, Ben, for that roundup. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. 
All references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes and you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including our latest outlook, plus a new piece from Rob Clary looking at artificial intelligence in more depth. Daniel Casali will be back with us in the studio for our next episode and we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so and you can rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time.